We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. News, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome into another BuzzBeat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian today. This episode is brought to you by our partners, Bet Online. Visit betonline.ag. On today's episode, we're going to be handing out more report card grades to the final six Charlotte Hornets on this roster with Biz, Hernan Gomez, both of the Martin Twins, PJ Washington, and we'll round it out with Zeller. If you missed our last episode, we interviewed Tom Hapistro from NBC Sports. And he gave his take on the direction of this Hornets team. So we were actually just talking about this pre-recording on how great of a guest he was. And uh, there are certain things that we probably disagreed with or agreed with with his takes. But overall, he was uh, somewhat positive on the Hornets' future, even though on a national stage, they, they kind of seem pretty irrelevant. I thought what was interesting, guys, and it kind of goes against especially your guys' view in terms of of swinging for the fences and going for home runs instead of singles. He, it sounded like, did not necessarily agree with the P.J. Washington pick because he thought it was just too boring or or too simple of a pick. What what are your thoughts on on his idea that maybe the Hornets, maybe this year, if they can, kind of go for that home run instead of trying to take in that single again? Well, they need a, you know, I think they need a top five pick to go for a home run in this draft. I mean, there's just like... 
there's only so much, so many fastballs, I guess, <laughs> in this draft. Um, so, which is also what I like about it for the Hornets because it doesn't look like they're going to have a top five pick, right? Right. Um, so, so I think there's a chance they get a good player. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I still just think that there's no rush here because as as, as high as we are on guys like Devonte and, um, you know, and still bullish on Miles and still think there's a chance for Monk and still think that and think we, we could have something in guys like Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels. Like the reality is, is what these national guys are saying that we've brought on is that we are very far away from playoff, mm-hmm. uh, a playoff spot. And in the NBA is a league of, of stars. You got to have that guy. And, and Charles just uh, like a PJ Washington is our closest, closest path to having that guy. Then yeah, we're a long ways away and, and he could still emerge. So I don't know. I, I think like if Charlotte picked, if for some reason they picked like in the back end of the lottery, uh, I would say take a swing on a precious Achua or, you know, I don't know, name, name your other like really boomer bust kind of guy. But I think if you're picking in the middle of the lottery from eight to 11, there's just a lot of guys that we've talked about a lot. Vassell, uh, Onyeka and Kongwu, like, I don't know, name another one that I think you're just going to get a really good NBA player and that's what you should do. Yeah, I I agree. I think this is a good year to go for the approach of uh, adding another adding another rotation piece, and then looking ahead to twenty twenty one, where you've got a draft that is set up to be really good and has some interesting guards at the top of it, especially Kate Cunningham, um, Jalen Green, BJ Boston. Um, yeah, like that's looking to be a, a pretty strong class. So it, it be, it's kind of interesting to think of it another double or single, get a rotation piece here. And hey, maybe maybe you draft Isaac Okoro at eight and he turns into a star. You know, you, you develop him into that. And you've got this great, you have a solid uh, player development staff in house too. So that 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 also helps. But um, but yeah, I, I kind of think that the approach of maybe not pushing it this season is a good idea in the draft this year in the draft, because you've got, you've got a chance next year. You're not going to be good, you know, in the 2021 season, you're not going to be good next season. And especially, you know, if Devontae you know, comes back to earth at all, or, or maybe he is this good offensively, but you've got a chance to go out and get your, get your a one guy, potentially your, your franchise future franchise guy in 2021. Um, that said, like, if you want to take a swing for it this year, I don't even like, I wouldn't be mad about it if you looked at Puko. Um, I think he's a guy that maybe eight is a little early, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the team in the top 10 tried to snap him up. And if it's the Hornets, I think that would be something for us to get, you know, maybe nervously excited about because I think he, he has the potential to he's he's a ways away, but I think he has the potential to be a, a good player. So if, it, if there was one guy, I think in the Hornets range, or if they were to try to really swing for it, I think he's the guy, but I got no problem taking, Taking Kyra Lewis Jr. Maybe eight's a little too early for Patrick Williams, but if you grade him as a top ten guy, that's fine too. Vassell, Denny, if he falls to, to eight, I think all these guys project to be solid starters or you know high end rotation pieces, and so there's no problem adding those guys, getting them on to, to cheap contracts. And I think too, man, like I, look, I don't think Precious is going to fall out of the first round. But I think there's like a non-zero chance Precious is like available at 32. Um, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah, bet I anything. I wouldn't I bet anything on it. But I could 
man, I could, I could see it. I don't think it'll happen, but uh, you know, down now, then I'd be all about right. taking uh, Precious Tachua at, at 32, but um, sort of getting in the, the woods here. It's interesting because they didn't have a first round pick in 2016. It's like, there's no one they have to make a decision on this summer that they have to, I mean, they could, they could try to talk Turkey with Monk and make an extension and they, they could come to an extension with Devonte Graham, which won't even kick in until two seasons from now. But all the other, like the, the, the guys they've drafted within the last three years, like they're going to be here next season. You know, there's like no one you got to make a decision on. So to Spencer's point, they have time. That's why I don't necessarily mind them uh, looking for another high end rotation piece, as opposed to going for broke and trying to, get a star. I don't even know if those possibilities really exist outside right. of Kuko, or maybe you think Cole Anthony is underrated now because of what happened in Chapel Hill this year. Yeah. I mean, to, Sp- to Spencer's point, there's not really many players in that range that kind of are considered a home run type of swing there. Uh, so it might be somebody that, that does a solid rotational piece that you're just going to go for. And uh, yeah. that, that's probably going to be the safest bet unless we get lucky with the lottery. And we know that the horns don't necessarily do that. Yeah. So. Well, Brian just brought up, you know, like the monk situation. I mean, this is why I think that you have to you have to try to think creatively about how the Hornets are going to try to use this cap space over the next two summers because the reality is what we already know. They're not going to attract a, um, you know, tier one or even a tier two probably yeah. free agent. So, you know, you, you have to kind of, I think, double down on a guy like Monk, uh, although the sample isn't there. This season was very, very disappointing uh, what happened to him uh, to cut his season short in a season that was already uh, as well cut short. So I, I just – I don't know. I really think the front office should should take a long, hard look in the mirror and say the best use of, of our cap space for next summer – or one of the better uses, not the best use, one of the better uses of it is try to get Monk on what we hope – we're taking a gamble here, but what we hope will turn into – a real value contract three years from now. And I think that's totally reasonable. Like if the yeah. Hornets threw seven, you know, the, the, the Jeremy lamb extension and mm-hmm. Malik Monk from when they got him for OKC for basically nothing uh, in a, in a dump, then I wouldn't be mad at it. seven or $8 million a year. We don't know where the cap's going for it. I get it. Whatever. Yeah. The Hornets have nothing but flexibility and they've got to double down on their homegrown talent. It's the only way this roster is going to get better. They got draft well and they got to double down. So I would just watch that because I because Monk's qualifying offer is north of seven million dollars next summer. That to me is unreasonable. We have no clue where the cap's going to be mm-hmm. in the summer of twenty twenty one, and so I think that you you sit down now, you try to figure out where his head is, and you roll the dice. This is just what Charlotte's going to have to do because Monk to me, what we saw at the end of the year, or at least the end of when his mm-hmm. playing year ended, we saw enough to where I'm like. I think the light's starting to come on here. I understand there's a lot of other factors in play, but mm-hmm. and nobody wants to nobody in the national media is gonna talk about a Malik Monk extension. <laughs> but I do I do really think seriously that Charlotte should should think about this because I, I think they can get him on a very economically savvy contract. Yeah, it's like you 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 lock it in at a number that's somewhere in between the qualifying offer and you know where like the mid level would settle at. You know what I mean? And, and you get some years on that. You lock into some cost certainty. And even if even if you know Malik just totally bombs, like he's he's already like let's just say worst case scenario, like he's maxed out as a player and 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 stuff. It, that's even then that deal doesn't hurt you really. And I know I get like no, Spencer. You can said, still I, trade it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. 100%. It's uh, 
it's an easy it's an easy thing to to get rid of or move like you said the the hornets have nothing but time and flexibility in, in my opinion um and yeah and they have more information on the league than anyone too so i think it's a i think it's a telling sign if they would even look to do something i don't know if they will but um I'd be interested in in the topic because he is a tantalizing talent. That's for sure. And Mitch Kupchak came out and said a couple of days ago on WFNZ that he's the most talented player on this ride, or that's what he feels. He feels mm-hmm. Monk is the most talented that's the player. Second, that's the second time he said that on WFNZ yeah. within the last few few months too. So yeah. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's him parading around just sticking right. up for his guy. I think there's something behind that. And we even talked about this in the hypothetical with Tom Haberstroh in the last episode, but he threw out the possibility of what we were sort of messing around with these, like these camps opening back up. Um, You know, if the, if the Hornets were to play, like if someone on the Hornets was to play Trey young one-on-one, who would you pick? And I think we, you know, we kicked the can on Devante and then Monk came in the conversation. I think he has to because he is that talented and, um, and athletic and that much of a, of a, of a guy that can create his own shot too. So, um, and he, he showed some improvement defensively, which we talked on the report card episode a couple weeks ago, even if again, Monk's a tough case to, to make sometimes too, just because you're having to say, Hey man, like, you know, try to ignore some of the data here because some of the numbers aren't too friendly. You can sound real stupid saying things like that. So you try not to say them, you know, too loudly, but I think it's, I think, I think even those who are analytically minded, which we are on this podcast can agree that, that Monk made strides this season, Mm -hmm. even though some of the catch all numbers impact data is not, uh, not too pretty. Yeah, and lastly, before we jump into what this episode is actually supposed to be about, it with Monk <laughs> is like it's it's hard to evaluate anything from an advanced analytic analytic standpoint with this young roster because, of course, the advanced analytics are going to look bad for, yeah. for almost, even Charlotte's best players. So with a guy like Monk, like, and there was only really like a ten to fifteen game stretch. But you have to lean on the eye test because, again, none of the numbers are going to look great on this team. But it was just different. It just was. Mm-hmm. February was different. I've never seen him play like that. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder, and I'm just so anxious to see more. Yeah. So I, I kind of hope that Charlotte at least kicks the can on the idea of maybe going ahead and locking him down. His, like, his just uh, predetermined with nature and, uh, and willingness – to, to drive it this season was I think yeah. one of the like 10, five to 10 most pleasant surprises on the roster. This it was season. very visible, very visible. Like, like yeah. you could see the aggression on the court and getting to the rim. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Sports are coming back. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners bet online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. 
But let's uh, let's transition to the report card grades here. And if you listen to our first one, basically we went over an overview of all these players and then we gave them a grade on an A to F scale or if we felt like they deserved an incomplete grade, we can give them that grade as well. So we're going to start with uh, uniform number eight, Bismack Biombo just completed his ninth season. <laughs> Uh, sixth season with Charlotte, he averaged 7.4 points, 5.8 rebounds in 19 minutes of play. Uh, we all know this. He's very limited offensively. Uh, he's primarily going to score as a role man. And even then, he needs a lot of space. He needs to catch the ball cleanly. But there are some positives with him. He, he's going to attack the offensive boards. Uh, but there's, there's just not much going for him in terms of his role. It, it's it's defend the rim on the defensive side, attack the rim on the offensive side, set good screens. Uh, and, you know, we know this guy as someone that doesn't catch the ball all that great. And he's just overall a, a good teammate. I know that that's something that you really can't evaluate too much into these grades when it comes to on-the-court play. But uh, I think a lot of people do like Bismack Biombo, and he probably up, uplifts the players when he's out there on the court. Uh, I do want to give a couple of things, uh, notes, positive, 1.7 contested offensive rebounds per game that's second on the team uh, that shows me that he's willing to go hunt the offensive boards uh, get down low and box out tries to create second chance points for this team and then on the defensive side he's going to alter shots at the rim he had 8.7 rim contest uh, per 75 possessions which is in the 90th percentile uh, per b-ball index now in terms of the negative side for Biombo. He really didn't make this team better, especially on the offensive side. You know, he, he might set good screens and he might be able to, you know, catch a few lobs or, uh, you know, pick and roll cuts or whatever, but he's not going to score a pass out of the pick and roll. You, you try to put him in the Zeller role, like he's not going to be able to do that. And then on the opposite end, outside of the rim protection, uh, teams can target him on switches all day. So... I mean, he's he is what he is. Like he's just an average guy that's going to bring. You know what he's going to bring. Outside of that, he has a lot of limitations. Yeah, he's uh, he's center depth. He's leadership. I kind of enjoy the the potential of like Bismack Biombo being to the Hornets what like Udonis Haslam is to to the Heat. Just like Biz Nation, I'm here for it as long as it's not. Uh, you know, if he's like your third center on a on a veteran's minimum contract, like uh, sign me up for that guy. Uh, I, I think his leadership is is important. Um, defensively, Biz had like kind of an okay season this year. Um, in terms of defensive PIPM, 0.72, so positive there. Uh, the Hornets defense, 1.4 points uh, per 100 possessions better in terms of uh, luck-adjusted defensive rating when Bismack was on the court as well. Um, I mean, you know that this guy's going to give you his, his great effort. Um, I mean, empties the bucket, and you can see, and there are a couple of games this season when he was sort of like on the court when Charlotte made um, – you know, a second half run and, and Borrego would just roll with him and just keep him out there. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'd, you'd think, well, why is he not putting PJ back in the game or, or Zeller or whatever? And part of it, I really do think was, it was, uh, a message. Look how, look how hard this guy plays. Not like PJ and, and, and Cody don't play those guys. I think everyone on the roster this season sort of emptied the bucket, to be honest with you, which is a testament to JB and, and to, to biz. Um, but yeah, offensively, not great this season for, uh, for, for biz Mac. He shot at the rim in the half court under 55%, which is 
not uh, not too good. And out of the pick and roll, which is sort of like what he really does uh, most frequently offensively, um, not good either. Bismack on rolls to the basket this season under 0.93 points per possession, which was in the 11th percentile. The NBA shot under 47% on those looks as well. Um, he's a tough fit in half court offensively because you can't really short roll with him, even though he, he maybe had a couple flashes this season. And, you know, even if you put him on the back line, uh, and, you know, in the dunker spot, it, it's tough then too, because he has, because he's so limited athletically or, or offensively, I should say. And because, um, you know, because he's not a great finisher, even if you have, you know, PJ short rolling or slipping into space and he hit biz on a couple drop passes this season. PJ is pretty good at those little, those little slip, those little like half, uh, you know, half roll passes, but biz isn't really like a threat to finish those, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I said, he's under 55% at the rim in the half court. So, um, yeah, limited offensively, but what can you, this guy's spirit and his character are tremendous. And, uh, and yeah, he's not, he's not a like terrible defensive center. In fact, he's gotten better over the last two seasons in terms of his, uh, advanced defensive numbers. Yeah. I don't have like a whole lot to add from what you guys said. I, I actually thought, uh, Biz was pretty good this season. I, I really do career high player efficient rating, uh, PER 16.1 career high by a good amount, almost a whole, uh, a whole point there career high in, in usage. That doesn't mean a lot to me on this team career low, <laughs> career low in turnage. How about that? That that's kind of and career high in assist percentage, which is certainly not a, uh, a league top number, but you know, th- there's just a few small signs that all lead back to his career high player efficient rating that I think that tells me it might be worth thinking about the idea of biz coming back on a minimum deal. Uh, with Charlotte, I think that he's he's certainly still a defensive present presence. The Hornets are a little bit better with him on the floor defensively, and they're a little bit worse when he's on the floor offensively. You know, so it's kind of a wash. And uh, I think if he's your on a on a you know a not so good Charlotte team, if he's your second center because you couldn't find um, you know something else out there for a little above the minimum on the market, then I think that's fine. I mean, Biz is somehow still in his tenth season; will only be twenty-eight years old next year, which is <laughs> that's really if we believe the original reports. About. Wasn't wasn't there some like skepticism of his age when he first came out? Oh, rightly so, probably. Yeah, yeah I think there probably yeah there <laughs> probably was. Um, so look, I, I thought Biz was was just fine last year. He still looks like to what you guys said in the short roll or any kind of role, like he's trying to catch a piece of hot coal, right? And that's that's always going to persist for him. But he plays hard. He's a great teammate, to Richie's point. And I actually think he made some improvements, some very small ones on the margins uh, that are going to extend his career, if not in Charlotte, somewhere else. So uh, hats off to Biz. I thought he had a nice season. Let's go ahead and give our grades for him. I'm, I'm just going to give him a solid C. I think that, uh, you know, for what he is and the role that he was expected to come in, he was he was average at it. And, and like Spencer said, he did make small incremental adjustments to his game that actually showed on the court positively. But again, he's very limited in what he can do out there. Yeah, I went C as well for Bismack for largely the same reasons that, that Richie just mentioned. I think he made improvements in the right area. I gave him a B minus. I mean, I, I think the, the player efficient rating, the assist percentage jump and, and taking care of the ball, the turnover percentage. I mean, I, I think those are really important numbers if you want to stay on the floor in the NBA, uh, you know, when you're going late into your career. So I, I'll give Biz a B minus here. 
Okay. And we're going to go to another upcoming free agent big. And then Spencer made this point. Maybe you could re-sign Biz. Uh, or if you wanted to go this route and go Billy Hernan Gomez here, finish the season 12 minutes a game and average 6.1 points, 4.3 rebounds, and close to one assist per game. Uh, he, more so than Biz, can actually operate at the pick and roll game. He can make things happen in the short role. He's someone that can move the ball side to side a little bit with his passing, uh, DHOs and screen setting. And he's, a, he's a pretty decent playmaker for a big. He's also a very good rebounder on both ends as well. Uh, this might be purely anecdotal, but I feel like offensively he did pretty well in the floater like push shot type of game you know while his finishing around the rim wasn't the greatest he's always someone that's done well in terms of his post moves he feels a little bit more developed there he's not as robotic down there as someone like maybe a biz but to me like he he's somebody that I feel like never has fully reached his full potential uh, when it comes to what the idea of Hernan Gomez could be I always thought that this guy because he's more mobile, because he's a little bit more athletic. I also thought that maybe he'd be able to develop an outside shot. Uh, and last season, that seems to be, uh, or, or this season, however you want to consider it, this current season that's going on, he did not shoot the ball very well at all. Uh, last season might have been an outlier uh, in terms of the way that he shot the ball from behind behind the arc. This season, he was 5 of 22. And uh, so that, that's just something that I thought that he would develop. And then unlike Biz as well, he's not going to be erasing any shots at the rim. Spencer, is there somebody, either Hernan Gomez or Bianba, if you had to choose one you know, off the top of your head right now, is there someone that kind of fits that third big better, Hernan Gomez or Bianbo? Like if you were to re-sign one of these players, would it be Bianbo or would it be Hernan Gomez? Yeah, it's tough. It really is because Hernan Gomez is is two years younger, or right. a little, maybe a little shy than that of Biz. Um, you know, offensively, he's he's really obviously a lot far, a lot more farther along. Uh, he's really a skilled post player, really is, and and can do some things in the short roll. My problems with Hernan Gomez is um, he. In like a in like a sense of being a, a roller, a, a front court player, he like pounds the ball, and I don't mean it. He dribbles it too much. It's just he misses so many things around him to just like catch it on the short roll. He, he definitely is capable of flipping it opposite. He def he doesn't do that often enough. And to your point, Richie, the three-point shot hadn't come online. When you watch him shoot it, it doesn't look gorgeous, but you certainly think that it's something he could develop. Uh, and then on the defensive end, I mean, that guy in the pick and roll is just dead meat uh, every single time. And he's younger, but we have enough of a sample now, you know, in six seasons where I think I'm, I'm ready to, like, say it's ne the light's never going to come on for Willie Hernan Gomez defensively. And he's, he's actually a decent shot blocker uh, and, and a quick reactor with his hands down there on the block. But he's just in the wrong position so often that he can't make a play. So I think I'd rather go biz here. I really yeah. do. Yeah, I. it's tough to say. I, I, Willie's a guy that I, I almost wish you could you could have gotten him in-house at a younger, you know, when he was a little bit younger. I mean, Grant, he probably came to Charlotte when he was 22, 23. So it's not like he was, you know uh, – it's not like he was old or anything, but, um, yeah, I, I think Willie's one of those guys that I, I really do think like ultimately what it's going to come down to, uh, is like if this guy can figure out a three, which right now 
you know, it's just is non-existent. He was only two of nine on pick and pop jumpers this season. Richie rattled off the three point stats a second ago. Those weren't too good. Pretty good finisher from like inside 10 feet shot a good clip at the rim in the half court. Like Richie said, pretty good from that little floater zone area as well too. Um, shot 68% on putbacks this season after an offensive rebound, according to synergy, that's a, that's a decent little number. So, you know, there's some things offensively that aren't, aren't, aren't terrible but it's it's not enough for him to be like uh your number two center that sort of struggles defending in the pick and roll but hey he's such a he's such a hoss on the glass and he does some things efficiently offensively that that you he's he can be certainly be a part of your your regular season rotation on a, on a nightly basis and give you x number of minutes when you're your your starting center is on the bench and you're not playing with a small ball lineup so but he's not there so i'm not i'm not sure where to place uh, Aaron and Gomez right now. Bismack is it's like a little bit easier to see what his defined role is as far as like a defensive first, you know, physical presence, a guy that you can, you know, throw on Joel Embiid for when you're playing the Sixers or something like that. The problem with that, Brian, not the problem, but like the issue yeah. is you know what you're getting with Biz, you don't know what you're getting with Billy, but the problem yeah. is, is what you're getting with Biz is not suited necessarily for the modern NBA. Yeah, yeah. true. And, yeah. and but but that may not that but that may not necessarily be the the case with Aaron and Gomez at least defensively either. Although again, the skills offensively are sort of interesting. For whatever it's worth, it is sort of funny. Like uh, Aaron and Gomez in terms of defensive PIPM this season, zero point eight three was actually one of the better numbers on the on the roster but that may just be a, a little bit of fun statistical noise so um anyways yeah I don't, I don't honestly i don't know it's hard to figure who i would prefer but i don't think we need to decipher the <laughs> the third string center role for the hornets too much longer here C- correct that, that is yeah. correct but just yeah. one more thought here um and, and to ron's point i do, I do think one of uh, billy's really redeeming qualities certainly in the context of what this roster needs is rebounding. He's a really good rebounder, especially a defensive rebounder, the best defensive rebounder on this team, in my opinion, in a smaller sample, I understand, but right. there's some complications to keeping Bismack, Bismack Biombo around next season or, or beyond that, that don't exist for Willie. You know, Bismack's coming off a $17 million uh, final year on his contract, which means Charlotte has his bird rights, but that cap hold is, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. It's something like $20 million. Um, snowball's chance in hell that the Hornets keep that on the books and eat up their, their space. Right. Whereas Willie Hernan Gomez, ca- you know, cap hold is about $2.3 million. So it's much easier from uh, depending on how the Hornets strategically use their cap space this summer to keep Willie on the books and then bring him back than it is biz. So that's just something to keep in mind because I do think there's a chance that one of these centers is on the roster next season. Yeah, biz's uh, hold is 25.5 million. Aaron so that, that's 4. your cap space 7. right there. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> biz may be not happening. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and give him a grade. I'm going to give him a grade of C as well. You know, he didn't blow me away by any means, but there are certain things that you do like about his game. The idea of Hernan Gomez is probably higher in my mind than the actual, what he's projected to be out on the court. I'll go C as well. Yeah, I'll go C minus for Willie. All righty. All right, let's go to the first Martin twin, Caleb Martin. Uh, he was undrafted rookie who spent the majority of his time with the Swarm. He averaged 21.3 points, six rebounds, and 3.8 assists 
in a thousand minutes with Greensboro. Uh, he only played 317 minutes with Charlotte. Uh, he was more of a spot-up shooter with this Hornets team. Uh, he, like his brother, competed on the defensive side of the court. I'd probably say that he's probably the better off-ball defender, maybe compared to Cody. I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up there, where Cody's more of the on-ball defender. It might just be the role that they play. In terms of positives, again, we got to take this with a grain of salt because this is such a low volume. Uh, but he was 20 of 37 from behind the arc. That's 54%. And all 20 of those uh, were assisted. Uh, and actually, all 20 of those, he didn't take a single dribble either. So... Um, they used him a lot on that ghost screen where he comes up and, and sets that ball screen and, and quickly cuts uh, to the opposite wing, a kind of a guard on guard screen there. And then on the defensive side, uh, another positive for him, uh, 1.9 steals per 75 possessions and 3.2 deflections per 75 possessions based on B-ball index. In terms of negatives, again, this is a small sample, so it's kind of hard to see where he is lacking on this side. Um, he really didn't show much offensively outside of the shot. Like he, he didn't get to the rim, and then when he got there, he was he was forty percent at the rim. So uh, I, there's not much to say about Caleb because he just really didn't spend much time here. But that's kind of all I got for him in terms of his role and what I saw from him. Yeah, I think I think some people that uh, on the national level that that do the fifty thousand foot view of of Charlotte's roster can sort of like mock the fact that he's on the roster, right? They like to they like to oh look at this, this sort of you know almost like a marketing ploy to have these twins on this NBA team or whatever. But like uh, Cody Martin busted his ass in training camp a season ago. He earned this roster spot. Period. He played hard as hell, and in some minutes this season with Charlotte, he, he did some things, like Richie said. I mean, it, defensively, his, his defensive PIPM number over one is pretty good. Richie said he shot the three ball pretty well this season. He was in the middle of some, uh, a couple really uh, you know, close games for the Hornets in the second half, too. And if you really wanted to make the case for this guy as an NBA player, and I mean, there's a, a who knows? He's older, obviously, for a rookie, but... He like he was pretty good in Greensboro this season too, man. He really was. Shot a forty-two percent out of the pick and roll this season for the Swarm, and on spot up no dribble jumpers this season, Caleb Martin in in the G League was in the ninety-fifth percentile uh, in terms of efficiency, seventy-four percent effective shooting on spot up no dribble jumpers with the Swarm this season. That was on sixty-one attempts. So, look, maybe he has a little bit of a shot. We'll see. Uh, the sample is probably a little bit too small. And, again, you know, he's older for a rookie. All I'm saying is I, I, it's not like this guy is is without talent, and it's not like he's just like a, a gym rat that's there just to dive on the, the floor for loose balls. Like, he can, like, do some stuff. And it was worth the Hornets, I think, taking a flyer on. Agreed. Yeah. I, I don't think that he's a, he, he's chopped liver by any stretch of the imagination. I think that uh, Caleb to me plays a little bit more like a, uh, in relation to his brother, a little bit more like a um, just energetic shot out of a cannon spark plug. Whereas mm -hmm. I think Cody who has played on the ball, it, it seems like just watching him yeah. play a little bit more in his career. Um, so, so their styles are different, although their body language and the way they shoot the ball and things like this look similar. And they look exactly um, the same too, Spencer. I don't know where, what that's and, about. And they're, they're identical twins, so they actually look alike as well. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so that plays into it. 
But but no, I I like Caleb. I really do. Like he he is a coach's kind of player because you know he's going to go in there and just bust his ass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think like for him to stick in the NBA, Richie, you brought up what I was going to say because when I looked at it the other day, it was like he had twenty of thirty seven. I understand it's a small sample, but whoa, didn't realize that. So you know if he can become a thirty eight plus percent three point shooter. And then buoy what he did on defense last year, which was a two percent block rate and, a, and almost a two percent steal rate. Like that's an NBA player, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see. I, I tend to think he probably won't stick in the league, but I agree yeah. with Brian. Brian made an important point. This isn't some like marketing ploy to to put people in the seats. Nobody's coming to Hornets games to watch the Martin brothers play. Yeah. Um, so these are two legitimate prospects that the Hornets are trying to get a, a better look at. So I, mm-hmm. I like them both, and I think Caleb has a chance to stick. Yeah, that's a good point about uh, in terms of uh, his play style compared to his brothers. He, he's somebody that is going to be off the ball a little bit more, might have a little bit more of spark uh, if you mm-hmm. want instant offense. I want you guys to watch his, his shooting at the rim. I This is just what from what I saw. Like if you go to like NBA.com and watch all his attempts at the rim, he left the floor like way too soon in terms of like his driving to the rim. So he was jumping a little bit too far out in, in, what, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was kind of hanging in the air a lot and got blocked a lot at the rim. So maybe that's the reason why he shot 40% at the rim. But uh, I think Cody, yeah, his brother's just a little bit more polished with yeah. the ball in his hands. You yeah. know, you know, Cody has a little Euro step. He can get in there and po- you know compose himself, whereas Caleb is just going to like bring the glass down kind of player still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so he's just he's just got to sharpen it up there a little bit. Do you guys have any other grade besides incomplete for him? Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go incomplete. Yeah. Um, it, but I, I think the, the G League numbers are like I he was pretty, he, I think he was pretty impressive in, in Greensboro this season. But yeah, as far as Charlotte goes, we'll say we'll say incomplete. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I want to see a little bit more, but definitely liked what I saw. Yeah. In it, you know, yeah. first go around. Agreed. All right, let's switch it over to the other Martin uh, twin, the 36th overall pick in last year's draft. Cody, uh, he had 903 total minutes, averaged five points, two assists, and 3.3 rebounds, and almost one steal per game. Uh, like his brother, he competes on the defensive side of the court. I would say he's probably more well-rounded on that side. Um, he's also able to play well in team concepts on the defensive side of the court. Um, he'll go out there and stop the other team's you know, top creator uh, if you want him to. He, unlike his brother that we just mentioned, he actually can play with the ball in his hands uh, and out of the pick and roll and, and be a facilitator. And we saw that at, at points he did play a little bit of that point guard position, but he's not someone that I would want full-time at that position. I'll, I'll let someone else start off with Cody here. Brian, what are your like positives and negative takeaways from him? Yeah, I'll try not to, to to gush too much so you guys can get in there and, and sing his praises too. I think he's a fan favorite of of or or uh, you know a media favorite of anyone that covers or follows this team. Uh, it was right. It was obvious from the jump. This guy's a winning player, and not even like not even like in the cliched sense. Like this dude makes winning basketball plays because he's an excellent team defender. He's unselfish. He's a good passer in transition. Willing to give up his body, contest any shot. Got that like the MKG, like manic energy defensively, but he's smooth too. And, and I mean, I, he had some possessions defensively this season. Just at, there was one against the Bulls. He guarded four different positions uh, on one play, just seamlessly moving around all over the court. Um, he's a great defender on at least three positions. And if you wanted to even round that up, like he can guard a bigger wing too. I think he did some good work against Jason Tatum this season. Who's like, you know, is your proto big wing 
you know, score. Uh, Cody Martin led the team in defensive PIPM, led the team in luck adjusted defensive rating. Uh, Charlotte, four points per 100 possessions better in the 900 minutes with Cody on the court. That was easily um, the best on the roster. That was number 10 in the NBA among players with at least 500 minutes of experience this season. That were 25 years and younger, some of the guys above him, Giannis, who's going to win Defensive Player of the Year, Chris Dunn, Joel Embiid, Wendell Carter Jr., Kristaps Porzingis. So, again, the, the filter there is like a little friendly, but the point is when this guy was on the court, the Hornets were just better defensively, and, and it mattered. The, the, the sample is only 900 minutes, but it's also 900 minutes. It's not like it's 200 or whatever, too. Uh, per 36 minutes, 1.6 steals, 2.4 deflections. He led the Hornets with 14 charges taken as well, too. Um, I think he's a solid one-on-one defender, but I think his team defense is legit, too. I think he's very good on the weak side against pick and, pick and roll, you know, tagging the tagging the roller, closing back out, being able to contain drives. I think, he's, I think his closeouts are excellent. Um, yeah, he's just a really good, versatile defensive player. You just you couldn't have this guy on the court enough. It was a little frustrating, maybe not quite halfway through the season, but at some point when when Nick Batum sort of like uh, you know slid back into the rotation, and you're thinking, I can't believe Cody Martin's losing minutes, so Nick Batum can chill in the corner and do nothing. I mean, I, yeah, maybe teams have to guard Nick Batum out there, and they don't have to do that with Cody Martin. But God, I, I'll take all the other stuff this guy gives me. Um, so yeah, I, I like Cody. I thought he had a terrific terrific rookie season really flew under the radar in my opinion because um he was one of the best defensive rookies in the entire uh draft class this year yep very well said he absolutely was he was sneaky one of the the more efficient rookies in the league this Mm -hmm. year yes uh, to be honest uh when you look at it all he was the best um well i shouldn't say he was the best defender on the team but he had more of an impact for any player on the Hornets defensively for the amount of minutes that he played mm-hmm. than any other guy on this team, which is, you just, I mean, to Brian's point, you just, you just can't say enough about that for a guy who is a rookie, albeit an older rookie, but I mean, he, he can play with the ball in his hands. He can create, he sees the whole floor. Um, he's good at finishing at the rim. He doesn't take mid range shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's already got a really impressive shot profile for a guy that can't shoot the three point shot. That's yes. That's very impressive to me um, because most guys, uh, even veterans that can't shoot the three-point shot, are going to take mid-range shot. Hello, DeMar DeRozan. Um, but <laughs> Cody Martin, someone that cannot shoot the three-point shot, will not take a mid-range shot. So he understands the game. I think he's bought into what Coach Borrego is, is trying to teach and trying to get his players to emulate on the floor. And so I can't really add much to, else to what Brian said except if he can't learn to shoot from outside – um, he's not going to stay in the league because, you know, as good as he is, as good as he is as a creator, pretty good. He's, he's not excellent, but as good as he is defensively, that alone will not keep him in the NBA. I appreciate his, uh, his willingness to take 77 triples last year and only make 18 of them. That's a good sign. Um, if, if he can, God, if he, if that guy could become a 33 to 36% three-point shooter he's a really nice nba player with everything he brings to the table get just over that one point per possession line you know what i mean yeah in terms of expected value yeah yeah Yeah, because because he's gonna because he's going to be one of the best rotational defensive pieces 
uneven, I think. Like, I think he's good enough defensively to, you know, to Brian's point, he, he brought up MKG. He's good enough defensively to be one of the best wing defenders on a playoff team, in my personal opinion. Yeah. He's that good defensively. He's just, he's so instinctive. Mm-hmm. He understands every angle. He hits every single, checks every single roller, rotates down to the corner, can get back up to the wing. I mean, he's just a super, super smart defensive player. Yeah, I think to the point about the three-point shooting, Spencer, if, if you if you are lacking your three-point shot uh, and you're only so good on defense, you might be out of the league. But I will say this, and this is just from my eye test over the course of the season, and there's only so much praise I can give him in this aspect, but he didn't look too sure of his outside shot in the beginning of the season, but he kind of was more ready to shoot, uh, mm-hmm. and he shot the ball more willingly as the season went along. Yes, he only still only shot 23% from behind the arc, but he wasn't mm-hmm. hesitant in doing that. So I do like his attack-mindedness uh, in trying to get to the rim. Him and Caleb, I feel like, are just very different in the way that they play. Caleb is more of an outside shooter, while Cody's more of uh, someone that can attack the rim. And here's a stat for you. It might be a little bit too filter heavy here, but uh, he and Terrence Davis were the only rookies that exceeded a offensive rebounding percentage of three, a defensive rebounding percentage of 12, while also having a positive defensive plus box plus minus. So something one. there. Two guys, um, two, guys, two guys that were underdrafted. I mean, Davis, okay. Davis especially, but uh, you can maybe even make the case for Cody as well. Yeah. Well, and one, one other thing we should bring up with Cody, I think, is that you just look at, and I, I took a look at this the other week and I tweeted about it. If you look at the mechanics of his jumper from kind of the beginning of the season, he ripped it across his face, he gets that elbow kind of mm-hmm. in, and it, it's just a very herky-jerky looking motion to what it looked like when the season was suspended. Vast, vast difference. Now, mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, when he had that herky-jerky motion, he was more comfortable with it, although it was mechanically flawed. So he got it off quicker under that motion. And when he got his elbow square, you could tell he had kind of had to set his feet. He had to get comfortable. And then he would let it go so he couldn't get it off as quickly. But it looked a lot cleaner. So the more comfortable he gets with that new mechanical motion, I think that he should be able to get into it earlier. So there, I think there's hope for him to become a better shooter is the point. Yeah, I would say if the three of us, and I know the people that listen to this podcast or, you know, watch the team, like everyone's think everyone's thinking like, okay, well, if this guy could just develop a, a league average three, because Spencer, like you said, he's got the volume and that's important. Um, if he could just develop a league average three, like we really got something. You know who else is thinking that is the Charlotte Hornets. MKG. And they're thinking, and they're thinking, yeah, well, that, but yeah. But the Charlotte Hornets are thinking that, and James Rago's thinking that. And guess what? They got the resources to actually try to do something about it too, which is which is really encouraging. Again, why the the player development angle of the franchise is taking like I, I I don't think it's all sizzle. I think there's some stake to it as as well too. We saw it I think already with with Monk and Devonte, and we'll see what happens when um, Cody Martin. I mean, I, this it stinks because you know this off season is so disjointed. Um, but I, my hope is that he's been getting up as many jump shots as humanly possible the last 120 days. And that continues, uh, going forward. I'll say this too, uh, because the numbers are tough on, on half court catch and shoots this season. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Cody Martin, uh, just 25% effective shooting. That was in the third percentile of the, uh, of the NBA, but at Nevada last season, 36% shooting on threes. 76% shooting from the line, 56% effective shooting in the G League this season. Just a sample of, of 11 attempts, but 5 of 11 on catch and shoot, 68% effective shooting. Half-court jump shots, 
at, in this with the swarm this season, 13 of 29, 60% effective shooting. And I'll say this too. And this was always a thing that people would try to hang their hat on when we talked about MKG. And it was really just kind of like a desperation because we we're just looking for something to, to justify this guy being a piece and this guy being a guy that you could command $13 million a year as opposed to 1.2 like Cody, but he's a good cutter. Um, 69% shooting on cuts this season. And that's not him getting to like play against somebody that's drawn a ton of gravity and, Oh, Oh my God, look how open I am. As I, as I just steamroll to the hoop for an open catch and dunk, he did some stuff too, where, you know, the, the ball gets swung to one side, he'd cut through to the other end. He'd see like one to two passes ahead. He'd cut through to the other side. Then he'd cut from the corner back down to the dunker spot, catch a pass from PJ and score. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's like a, I think this, the same sort of chess game that he's able to play in his head defensively, Spencer, you were talking about him hitting all of his spots. I think he has a good feel for the game offensively, even though the jump shot is a, uh, is a restriction. All right, let's wrap up Cody Martin here with our grades. I'm going to go kind of, I, I went back and forth on this one. I, I'm just going to stick with the B. I almost went B plus, but I'm going to go with the B for Cody. I'm going to go A minus interesting young player on a, on a great contract that I think uh, blew out, you know, most people's expectations. So I'll say a minus for Cody. I'll split the difference. B plus. I, I was impressed. There we go. All right, let's go to our rookie drafted 12th overall in last year's draft. PJ Washington. He averaged 12.2 points, 2.1 assists and 5.4 rebounds. In his first season in the NBA, uh, we had Tim Martin on uh, several episodes ago. Uh, he's worked with PJ Washington since he was, I believe, in ninth grade. So uh, he's he's come a long way. He's a very versatile big that can score from the post. He can score in the perimeter. Uh, he can even put it on the deck from time to time. And for big, PJ can make plays with the ball in his hands. He keeps the ball moving and he generates scoring looks, whether that's out of the post, the short roll, uh, wherever on the court, he's going to create some kind of uh, scoring look for him or himself or his teammates. So I'm going to let Spencer lead this one off with your outlook on PJ. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, super impressive, right? I think what exceeds um, most anybody's expectations, I think he should be, I think there's a real legitimate case for him to be first team all rookie. I think that he'll he'll likely land on second team, um, but, you know. Which still nobody would have, would have guessed that for him coming into the season. I, you know, I, I with Washington, I think the three point shooting took everybody back aback a little bit. Uh, I don't think anyone. I, I certainly didn't expect that. His last season at Kentucky, I, I remember making this point quite a bit in the in the draft scouting prospect process is that you know I think that's a shot that has a real chance to be a factor in the league and I didn't expect this again um you know 233 point attempts his rookie season no I mean that guy took 22 three-point attempts two seasons ago in his in his uh what I guess would have been his second year at Kentucky so I mean how far he's come in such a short amount of time uh, is phenomenal uh, and should only speak volumes about what's still ahead for him as a shooter. He is a deadly uh, corner shooter. I, I think precisely left, left corner, corner shooter. Yep. And that is such a huge, I mean, that's such a weapon for Charlotte and it's such a weapon for James Borrego and the way that he wants to run his offense and use the corners. So, I, you know, I, I just can't say enough good things. I mean, defensively, I think that, that's the one area where I look at him and I, and I wonder a little bit, I scratch my head cause I think he's a little bit of a tweener. 
Um, you know, he's fine guarding fours. I don't think he's exceptional. I think he's just fine. I, you know, I, I think he can get it more athletic, um, be able to move his feet a little bit more uh, effectively and stay in front of the ball more often. And then on fives, I think he's just also fine. You know, it's nice that he can slide up and play that position and guard the pick and roll effectively and play, you know, defense with his hands and and, and bother stuff at the rim. But I think that's probably the most interesting to me kind of subplot with, with his future is how many minutes is James Brego in, in this franchise going to ask him to play at five? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's so interesting, too, about this offseason for Charlotte because – they need a lot of help in the middle, um, specifically defensively. I mean, really on both sides, but I, I think more so defensively. And I would be disappointed, I think, if uh, if this front office asked him, for instance, he played about 10, 10% of his minutes at five this year, if this team asked him to play like 25 or 30% of his minutes. I, I think that's uh, I think that's misguided for P.J. Washington. I think he needs to play a lot of minutes at four. Um mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if that's the I, – I don't know what the front office thinks. I have no idea. But I think a lot of fans think that he should play more small ball five. I'm not sure that's going to benefit his career. Uh, it feels just like a closing lineup thing for the for the first half and the end of right, games, right? right? You know? Correct, yeah. Spencer, to your point, like he is a little bit it's, – it's interesting because, like, I see him as a four. You know, even when we discussed the, the Miles Bridges, P.J., uh, you know, how much overlap are these two guys? Like, it's like, it, you know, Miles is sort of a three and a half. PJ, in my mind, really is a, is, is like a true modern four. Um, maybe even closer to like a four and a half, you know what I mean? Because of the small ball hypothetical that you were just bringing up. And it's not hypothetical. He was, some of the, some of Charlotte's best lineups this season were PJ at the, PJ at the five with Marvin Williams at the four. And in that, you know, those guys were both almost playing four and a half, but PJ certainly playing the five offensively. And that really opened up the floor for him. And they got, again, some of the best offense Charlotte had this season came with Devante, uh, Marvin, PJ, Malik Monk, and, you know, some other low usage wing. Those were the best offensive lineups the Hornets had. They just didn't get to them a ton this season for – variety of different reasons um you know he got off to a great start he you know obviously the game against chicago is like a if you watched it i don't think you'll forget it anytime soon it was so much fun um the hornets have this great young player uh so of course he came back down to earth at some point but a couple things i just love his versatility offensively um you know by the end of the season outside of the corner shooting numbers none of his stuff looks great from really any zone on the court outside of the corners, which he was basically a 50% three point shoot from the corner. I mean, that's, that'll come down some too, but you feel confident. This is a guy that's going to be able to shoot, you know, in the low forties from the corners, you know, he can bomb from above the break and he's got the ability to pick and pop to slip, roll hard, catch a lob. Like he, he, he can actually go up and catch a lob too. And I just think like it, like Spencer, you said there's so much that Charlotte and James Borrego can do because this is a guy's ability because of PJ's ability to shoot from the corner. But I love the fact that out of the pick and roll, and it's such a pick and roll dominant league. And whenever the Hornets, you know, whether it's Devontae or someone that they draft this season or someone they draft in 2021 or whatever, whenever they get their like their ball handler of the future, assuming PJ Washington is there for that, they're gonna pair really nicely because PJ can do so much in those situations pick and pop attack on the closeout. He can pass. We talked about his ability to pass in space. You want to switch. He can post up a switch. He can roll hard. He can catch a lob. Like if, if you're playing Andre Drummond against him, he's faster. 
Um, and I mean, he's going to struggle against length. Like I think Anthony Davis was a wake up call to him when the Hornets had to go out to LA early in the season. Um, but yeah, Anthony Davis is a wake up call to For anyone. all, yeah. all, but like two people on planet earth, you know, they'll make you, make you look human real, real easy. But yeah, I just think PJ was terrific. I think his first step defense could be a little bit better. I thought early in the season, especially guys are able to sort of like take him off the bounce really within that first step, first dribble and, and get by him. I thought he got better as the year went along. His defensive PIPM just steadily rose all season. Just got, got a little bit better every single game in terms of what that number is spitting out. I think that's encouraging uh, for a guy that was in his age 21 season. He finished with a pretty good defensive PIPM this season. Um, so yeah, I, I thought PJ was, was really, really good and hands down one of the five or six best rookies, uh, in, in the league this season easily. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing that you can speak to him and you guys both said it was his versatility. You can play inside out or you can play outside in, depending on how the opposing team matches up against him. You kind of have to pick your poison with him. If they go small, he would work inside out in terms of what you just mentioned, Brian, in terms of, you know, working together with a nice ball handler and facilitator, he and that ball handler, like can work the DHOs perfectly because he himself can work the DHO while also receiving DHOs. He actually scored 1.75 points per possession on handoffs this season. So what that's a good number. We talk about the pick and pop ability, but like Brian noted, like his above the break three is not that great uh, to kind of write home about. You wish that was uh, you know a higher number as the as the years go on, which I'm sure it will. And then to the left corner three uh, that Spencer mentioned earlier, he was 21 of 38 from there. And if if I watched all 21 recently, a lot of times you found him in the dunker spot. And as the ball would move around, he would perfectly time and backpedal back to the left corner, catch it, shoot it real quickly. And he made 21 of 38 from that left corner. One thing I will say on a negative side, you guys kind of mentioned his defense, but he did improve as, as the season went along. For a big, he's got to get better at the hoop. I, I think for a point guard, yes, yeah, 60% within four feet might be a good number. But for a player like him, I wish he got a little bit better. I'm going to go ahead and give him a B plus for this season. I, I will go. I will go A minus here. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go a minus as well too here for PJ. He was um, he was awesome. One last thing on PJ Washington. Sorry, I had I have to mention this. If you ha- if you haven't seen what he's been up to in his personal life, go check that out. Um, well done, <laughs> young fella. By the way, um, great job. Stay focused because I know yeah. it's gonna be a little hard there. The, so. But I'll say this too: add the why PJ may be able. To, we can probably perhaps trust his level of focus. How about this for a modern? a modern uh, front court player, just 2% of his field goal attempts this season, long mid range shots. Yeah. Yeah. 98, yeah. yeah, 98% of that basically means like 98% of his attempts are dunks, layups, threes, floaters, or like hook shots, you know, like that's it. And um, man, he just, he just fits where the game is going in so many, so many ways, which is why like, even if he doesn't ever get to star potential and, and maybe that's just, that's just a, a non-starter if you're discussing possible outcomes for him, but like high end rotation player, like, hell yeah. Like he's that, I feel very confident with him getting there at some point, perhaps sooner rather than later. And, and you do have to give credit to Borrego as well in terms of hammering home the shot selection for this team. And I think they stressed 
open looks from three and not taking a mid-range shot within like the first like 18 seconds of the shot clock. So that's what they focused on. And clearly it got through to a lot of players on this team. Uh, We just didn't make enough to actually see the results there. But uh, (laughs) we're going to finish up with Cody Zeller. Uh, If we did it by uniform number or by last name alphabetically, we would end up here. He just finished his seventh season in Charlotte. He stayed relatively healthy this season and averaged 11.7.1 rebounds and close to one and a half assists. Uh, we all know Cody Zeller as this screen setter and ball mover. And again, he did more of that this season. He's a strong rebounder on both ends of the court. Um, he's one of those players where you look at the box score and his numbers, and you really can't pinpoint really his value, especially if you're not watching him on a game-to-game basis. But he's a hard-nosed player who's going to contest shots at the rim. He's going to hunt the offensive rebounds. He's going to hedge hard on the defensive side. He's going to be able to recover and pick and rolls. He's just overall a scrappy player that I know we say this a lot about players. You just can't look at the box score. You, you got to look at what he's doing on the court. And a lot of the things that he does on the court doesn't necessarily show up in that box score. I do say that d- disappointingly, he didn't finish well at the rim. And, you know, despite the volume over the last couple of years, he still hasn't found that three point <laughs> shot. Uh, no. he's, he's not respectable in that area. And and that's him and Hernan Gomez. I always thought that that would be something that could develop. I never expected that of Biz. I mean, because you look, you look at Biz's shot, it just doesn't look <laughs> oh, man. great. I'd like to see him try. Yeah. Just, it would be, you know, for <laughs> the, the sake of irony more so than, yeah. you know, like if this is a, the Hornets developing a new weapon. But, <laughs> but yeah, like I think maybe there's hope for him to eventually still develop a three. Next season, it'll be his age 28 year. He took 75 this season but made just 18, but Hey, give him credit for trying, man. Like I, I think it's cool that, uh, among the, the, the young guys obviously bought into Borrego stuff, but even the older guys like biz and Zeller and Zeller's a guy that has at his role sort of jerked around, you know, starter, not starting in the rotation, not in the rotation. I mean, they sort of Borrego sort of had musical chairs going on with the center spot. Plus PJ has to get his, his some minutes there every half as well too. Block rate dropped this season, just 0.7 blocks per 36 minutes, which is uh, not a great number. I think that's the first time in his career he's been below one block per 36 minutes uh, in a single season. So that's not great. Opponents shot 63% on closely contested field goals by Cody Zeller at the rim. Uh, and his defensive P- uh, PIPM dropped for the second straight year. Two years ago, uh, his his advanced numbers defensively were, were quite good. Uh, 2.1 defensive PIPM. That's dropped you know, considerably, but still not bad defensively. And, and I think like, you know, I, he's still a good defensive center despite some of the the issues um, with his with his rim protection in terms of just like blocking shots or whatever. Because like he's he is a good defensive center and he can do some stuff even without the jump shot that still fits into a modern NBA offense. Although I do think like. I think he missed Kemba this season a lot too. I mean that for years, man, the bread and butter of Charlotte's offense. Screen assist, man. Was, yeah, it was yeah, seriously. And like he was always in the top three or four of the entire NBA with Gobert and Gortat and uh Steven Adams as far as guy you know, all those guys are partnered up with with good players too, you know, like Kemba. But yeah, like this season, 4.6 screen assists per 36 minutes. Um, over the last three seasons prior to this year, 
Cody averaged seven and a half screen assists per 36 minutes. So that was a pretty serious drop, but still 11 points per 36 minutes uh, credited to Cody Zeller's screen assist. Uh, Biz sort of helped as well. was kind of just a little bit below that in terms of screen assist and points per 36 minutes. So I think Zeller missed that. You know, he's not a vertical lob guy. He's got to be able to catch it with a little bit of a runway to finish. That's why he's never been like an amazing, uh, amazingly efficient rim finisher. But I'm hopeful that Cody can get healthy, stay healthy, and that Charlotte finds a home for this guy to help a, a contending team. Because this guy should be playing playoff basketball, in my opinion. Hey, Spencer, before you get in here, to the point of the screen assist, I think it's understandable with obviously less talent on the team. But what's all, always bothered me about Cody, he doesn't ever look to score. Like So he's setting these screens, and he's, it's almost sometimes <laughs> his back is to the basket sometimes. So I appreciate everything he does with the screen setting and, and getting the ball moving side to side and working the DHO game. But for whatever reason, it's always bothered me that he doesn't really look to score. I don't know if that's bothered you guys. He never, yeah, Cody never, and kind of going back to the Kimba thing, he never had to develop a lot of offensive right. skill because he was so – uh, you know, hardwired to be the handoff guy, the high post, you know, switch the ball, go set, sprint to uh, set a screen. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool to see Cody's only 28 years old um, next season. I think with something I think about is with Devontae coming online um, this past season and, and to Terry to that point. I mean, I think Terry's a nice handoff partner, you know, as well. Pitch it at the high post, Terry you know, sprints down to the right and then comes immediately back up for the handoff. Like both of those guards are, are well suited to play with Cody Zeller and some of his, uh, some of his, you know, passing package kind of center skills. I, I think the, the more inner, cause you guys have, have reeled off all his strengths and weaknesses and um, you know, what he did well last year and didn't the, the most interesting part of Cody Zeller this coming season is what the Hornets do with him. I mean, yes. he, he is the most valuable trade chip on this team he's got a 15.4 million dollar uh expiring contract and if you don't think there's going to be uh, a western conference team or an eastern conference team i mean there's a few better centers in the eastern conference but if you don't think there's going to be a western conference team in the middle to the back of the playoff pack that needs uh, a rotational center uh at, at that 15 you know expiring 15 dollar 15 million dollar number uh, you're fooled. So I, I think the Hornets might have an opportunity to get something here, not serious draft capital, but something, uh, maybe a few seconds yeah. and maybe even a, a developmental player that is mm-hmm. hard enough, a, you know, a desperate team might be willing to part ways with. So, and they could also trade Zeller this off season. We'll see how things play out in Orlando. I think that will be telling. There's a, there's a few teams um, that are a little thin at center, um, even going into next season. And mm-hmm. also, uh, here's another something I've been thinking about with we're not sure what kind of shape NBA players are in right now. And they're now being forced back into this bubble and very little training. And they're going to start playing serious basketball games. And then within eight games, they're playing playoff basketball games. <laughs> Injuries are something to watch here. And yeah. Cody Zeller, who's sitting at home, you know, healthy as a puppy, um, you know, at this number and expiring contract, you know, if things fall a certain way, that's just mm-hmm. something to watch for him being moved this offseason. It, it's such a great, the number is such a great number to trade too. you know, like, you know, Perfect. anything, anything Perfect. in that like 12 to 15, 16 Rangers, like guys, just like a money in on expiring. And like the fact that he's useful, you know, it's like, ah oh man, like it, it's just, 
it's a it's a really good number. It's a really good trade piece, and and so it's good that you, good that you you brought it up because um, whatever they can ring out of it, and it feels like it should be something, whether it's three months from now or it's you know uh, shit. When's next February? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, I don't whatever you. Know. It's a good number, and the Hornets have the flexibility to to do either a, a one for one. Here's this contract. Give me this contract, and then throw me something yeah. else. Or yeah. the Hornets can take on because of their salary space. cap space. They can take on yeah. more, you know. And so maybe Cody Zeller is the vehicle to do that to unlock that that second asset. Yeah. So it, it's something to keep an eye on. Just playing yeah. devil's advocate here, like I thought about this, and, and probably it probably relates more to the off-season trade of Zeller. Would teams be less willing to give up assets for him, even though he's an expiring, in the sense that there's an unknown next season? So like, you may not even be getting his value on the court. Well, I, yeah. So twenty, the summer twenty twenty one is so loaded with talent. Mm-hmm. So you know, his expiring certainly is a in that sense is a massive advantage for Charlotte. The reason I brought up this like far-fetched injury idea with Orlando is just it, it's just something I've been thinking about. Like let, let's say Toronto, like Gasol mm-hmm. or Ibaka or, or somebody had some brutal injury. I hope that doesn't happen, obviously. But right. but if it did, and Toronto's like, okay, this guy's not available next season. We honest we honest you know obviously want to stay competitive in 2021. Um, here's Zeller who can help us immediately and come off our books and give us cap flexibility that yeah. maybe an Abaca or a Gasol can't like that. There's where I think they're, it's, they're it's, not desperation. it's not desperation, yeah. but it's like we can continue to compete and prove our point to the free agent. We want <clears throat> Giannis. I, I yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. and, and we've created ourselves cap flexibility in the process. So I, I just, let's just see how Orlando plays out. I think there's a, there's a move this summer for Charlotte with Zeller. Interesting. It seems like what we're going to have to do at some point is a, uh, uh, an off-season Cody Zeller trade hypothetical pod at some point. It feels like that's uh, that's going to be in the pipeline eventually. No, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny. This report card episode turned into a little bit more, which, which is good. I'm sure the listeners enjoy this type yeah. of talk, but we do need to give a grade for Zeller before we wrap. I'm going to give him a B. I'll say C+. Plus. Yeah, I, I, I'll go B minus. I'll split the difference here, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat, and we will see you guys next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com